It's That Stack of Books. I'm Steve Scher with a small but robust table at the Bryant Corner Cafe with, of course, Nancy Pearl, Jennifer Collins Fredericks, Betsy Lindley, Katie Sewell, Robin Lindley, Amin Schoenfeld, Kate Riley. Nancy, are any of these books in here getting you out of your fiction funk? To be honest, no. So, <laughs> so I am still in my fiction funk, and actually three of the books that I brought today were um, our nonfiction. One is historical fiction by a local writer, and I read it months ago, but it was still on my shelf, and I was looking desperately for things to bring to what. Uh, to, to show you. Did you I, like this book? I did. I did. I love this book. It's uh, it's by a woman named um, Nicola Griffith, and it's called Hild, and it's the first of um, a series. Uh, I'm not sure how many books are going to be in it, but it's the story. It's a fictionalized tale of um, a woman who becomes Saint Hilda, uh, but this is this is her life during the during her childhood, uh, growing up in the Middle Ages. And uh, so there's, I'm thinking if you liked, it reminded me a little of um, Sigurd Unset's, and I always mispronounce it, Kristen or Kirsten Lavin's, Lavrin's Daughter, which was my mother's favorite, favorite books. Um, and it reminded me a little of that kind of intensity of that, although it's a different place and everything is different about it, except the experience of reading it, which to me were the same. How do you know this author? Well, as a matter of fact, Stesha Brandon um, from uh, Town Hall uh, was reading it and just raved about how much she loved it. And um, Nicola Griffith, because she is local, and, and I knew her, I think, as a fantasy writer or a science fiction writer, um, and ha I just hadn't picked this one up. Uh, good blurb by Neil Stevenson, by Karen, J uh, Karen Joy Fowler, and by Dorothy Allison. Um, very different writers, those three. So, and, and folks who don't give a lot of blurbs, so you give some credence to them. I don't know uh, Saint Hilda. Where does she come in the pantheon of saints? I'm. She. Well, we haven't gotten to when she's a saint yet. So. <laughs> I'll let you know if I get out of my funk and Nicola Griffith writes the next one and I, I'm able to read it. So Nancy, I, I was thinking about your funk and I found a little book that I liked a lot by oh, an author who's fairly well known in the UK. I didn't know her though, uh, Jenny Nemo. And she's written three books. I read the first one called The Snow Spider. It's called The Magician's Trilogy. And it was just delightful. It was, it was of course, pigeonholed as young adult. Uh, and it had fantasy in it. There was magic based on Welsh tales. So I'm, that's my gift to you. Thank you. And I accept it gratefully. And I will literally check it out. Uh, but who, there's another children's writer uh, or for early teens who uses Welsh mythology, too. Um, and his and his name and Lloyd Alexander did a whole series of children's books based on Welsh legends. So that I would, if you're interested in that, I would suggest that to you in return. Tells me something about the Welsh. Why are the Welsh so uh, rich in legends, and yet so, <laughs> and yet so poor in having any political power? I wonder. Don't those two often go hand in hand? If you've got, you know. You've either got a rich inner life or a rich material life, but you know, not often both. So yeah. maybe that's why. That's it. Very interesting. And and actually, I just did read a very very interesting book called *The Wars of the Roses*, um, a brand new book. And this one, I cannot remember 
maybe Tony Jones or something like that. But he had written one about the Plantagenets, and this one is about the Wars of the Roses. And of course, George R. R. Martin uh, says that he has based his series, Song of Fire and Ice, his series, uh, Song of Fire and Ice, the great fantasy that Game of Thrones, etc., on the Wars of the Roses. And for anyone who loves British history, uh, this is just a really readable, readable history of the Wars of the Roses in the beginning of the Tudor dynasty. And of course, that involved the Welsh, um, because Henry VI's widow married Owen Glendower, I think. Uh, I got I got rid of all those facts. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's wonderful, wonderful historical writing. If you're interested in that period of British history, why they made us study English kings in our schools is just beyond me. All right, before we before we go on, since we're we're looking for some some uh, fiction that's going to get Nancy all excited, I just want to go and add, just ask what fiction you you guys have been reading. So I'm going this way. No, do you have ready fiction? I don't like reading fiction. No, I like to read um, war uh, histories and memoir, memoirs and biographies. Fiction's boring. Fiction's boring. Well, I think I think him's fighting words, and of course, we had a whole show on that, and uh, and I believe we concluded that you were wrong. Uh, <laughs> I might be in a minority. Fiction. Uh, the last book our book group uh, read was uh, Tale for the Time Being. Ruth Ozeki. Loved it. Absolutely wonderful. I liked how it moved back and forth, both in time and place, from Japan to an island uh, in Puget Sound, and back and forth between the Second World War and the, and the current days. And it was just fascinating the way it, it moved across those uh, dimensions. All right, Robin, give me one, uh, give me one fiction that you've, that you've read the last couple of weeks that you have enjoyed. Well, one I want to mention, it's a kid's book. It's... Uh, um, Emery Jones, that Charles Johnson, I don't know if Nancy knows about his new kids book he wrote with his daughter, Elizabeth, and also illustrated, and of course, Charles, jo uh, Charles Johnson is an eminent Seattle writer, winner of the National Book Award and the MacArthur Genius Award, but this is a kid who's uh, about in fifth grade, and he's a science genius, he's, he's called the Boy Science Wonder, and he's African-American, and his Buddy is a, a girl with a hearing impairment named Gabby, and, and they have lots of adventures in the first book with this time machine. And I think it's uh, a great reading, and um, one of the themes of that book is also bullying. So it gets into a lot of areas. I thought it was uh, fascinating that Dr. Johnson decided to work with his daughter on this book. Have you read that book? I do know that book, but I, but uh, no, I have not read it. Sad to say. I thought you were going to tell me once more, funky. <laughs> Middle Passage is, I mean, that's a great book, yes. even now, yes. from Johnson. Yeah, Middle Passage was wonderful, but uh, yeah, but I wasn't in my funk back then. Now I'm afraid to start anything because I just. <sighs> well, you know, I have a friend named Nancy Prose says I can just read the first 50 pages and then shut it down. So I think you should take that that person's advice. I do, I do, I, I definitely do. Well, I have a question for Nancy about what would get you out of your funk? What is your ideal genre and your the qualities of a book so that we can go home and do our homework here and, and figure out, bring you some choices for next week? The thing is, is that, that all my life, 
I mean, I, I am an I am an omnivorous reader. I mean, I read everything, and I have liked everything, uh, all different genres, and everything. I have liked it at um, all my life. But these days, um, and they have gone on for a long time. What I am really looking for is um, is just something that is very fast moving and very plot driven. And as I said before we began, but it, I'm not interested in plot normally, but what I really want is just a good thriller to take me out of wherever. And there's a wonderful thriller, which I'll talk about in a later show, coming out in January. So that got me a little bit, you know, I did, I did enjoy that. So, um, so that's what I'm looking for. So two of the books that you brought, and then the problem is that, that, I, that because all I've done my whole life is read, you know, I have this whole... I mean, I've just all read. Everybody else had a life, but I read. And, and so I read those books, so I can't read them for the first time anymore. So like you brought Tim O'Brien's The Things They Carried, which is just a masterful, masterful, wonderful, I mean, couldn't be better novel, uh, an amazing novel. Well, you're taking off of my um, pile of iotas, so I, I bought all these books that are on my shelf that I ought to read, and I was reminded of it last week when we were doing the, the war books, and when I'm in a funk, it's hard for me to go to these, these are books that are great, and I ought to read them, but I was kind of wanting you to pick through for me, and you know, if I had... You know, a couple of days in the you know middle of winter where I can handle something of substance that's not that good thriller, which is my usual kind of you know take me away with a good literary mystery. But my I ought to read something serious and substantive. You say I should go with the things they carried and the and Kevin Powers, Kevin the, Powers yellow the yellow birds. birds. Okay. Yes, and um, and did you read Billy Lynn's long halftime walk? I did not. Okay, so that would, to me, would go with those. Okay. Did you read? It? That's about um, a troop of, a group of um, Americans, young Americans who have come home from Iraq after a very terrible firefight. And it all takes place on one day at the football stadium Thanksgiving in Dallas. And... Um, it's it's just an amazingly wonderful novel by Ben Fountain. What's the Yellow Bird? The Yellow Birds is by um, an Iraq an American who was deployed to Iraq, and he's also and he's also a poet. There, there's two of your iotas. I want to come back, but so what are you? What's your fiction right now? I had just started Thornton Wilder's The Bridge of San Luis Rey. I actually, the way that it was pitched to me by someone who told me about the book made it sound like it was going to be a nonfiction story. <laughs> so when it, not knowing much about him as an author, when I picked up the book from the library and it said a novel, I thought, oh, <laughs> I guess I am going down a fiction road. Um, but it was, it's a book about a bridge that collapses and five people are on it and a priest that tries to figure out why those five people were the, were the ones that died in the act of God that plunged them to the bottom of the ravine. And so he kind of goes back and traces their life story. <laughs> um, to, I guess to find the point when they made the fateful decision that was going to lead them to the bridge that day. But 
Right, go, you, oh, I was going to say the interesting thing about that, I think, is that you never know what you do. Will You never know if you do something, if that will be a fateful decision because we don't know that. And, and I think that the, the intersect, I mean, I think the presence of fate or whatever you call it in our lives and, and how we live in this state of unknowingness and it's only after something happens that we look back and say, oh, if I had only waited five more minutes, I, you know, could have made it across the street or, or somebody, you know, says something like that. But, the, but my favorite Thornton Wilder, I mean, Our Town, I still, I cry at every production of Our Town, whether it's a middle school production. I mean, it was just amazing. But my favorite novel of his is called Theophilus North which I highly recommend. Betsy Lindsley, what's your fiction? Americana by somebody help me because I... Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Mm -hmm. And it's a novel about um, a Nigerian woman who comes to the United States. Her experience in Nigeria and then coming to the United States, going to Princeton, and her experience as a black woman in the United States, differing from African Americans and some of the language between the two that she didn't really understand as a black woman. I learned so much about the culture, about Nigeria. It's also a woman's story, I think. Yeah, I remember that, it, that it was a woman's story. I remember that being a big part of it, and that was an important part. Did you read her? I, I loved that book. I, I thought Americana was just a brilliant book, and she did a wonderful TED Talk uh, as well, which is really worth listening to. And when she talks about that book, I always love to hear people like you, Betsy, describe a book because I think it says so much about you as a reader as much as what the book is about. Um, and when she talks about it, she says that the book is about love, race, and hair. And <laughs> Do you track authors coming out of Africa? After I read uh, Americana, then I started thinking about what other African, black African writers I had read. And there was a very interesting woman from Sierra Leone that I interviewed, um, whose novel, uh, just an, an amazing novel. Um, so yes, yeah. I just ask because I think there's a lot of great literature coming out of Africa as well. Um, is this the author that did the TED Talk about the need for multiple stories? When we start to get stories from different cultures, we tend to kind of pigeonhole, okay, that represents Nigeria or that represents Ethiopia. And so you need to have a multiplicity of different stories because nobody's trying to represent their entire country or their entire continent. One of the things that this other writer whose name I will remember said to me in the interview is that is that or that we talked about is that people tend to think of Africa as a country and how how um, how sad that is both for us as readers and well especially for us as readers to think that you had your iotas, but what fiction are you reading right now? 
Well, I hate to be in the I'm in a slump category, but I like a good literary mystery, and I've been disappointed in my last bunch. The new book I just got last night, so I haven't started, is Amy Bloom's newest, Lucky Us. I don't know, Nancy, if you're a big Amy Bloom fan. Not so much. Okay. <laughs> I have to say, I normally am an Amy Bloom fan, and I loved her novel, Away. Uh, I loved that novel. Um, and I loved her collection of short stories, which have remained with me. The strongest one, in my opinion, is about a mother who is accompanying her daughter while her daughter is having, during her daughter's sex change operation. And this was years, you know, 15 years ago, I think, that Amy Bloom wrote that. I thought that was just a, just a wonderful, wonderful collection of short stories. And as I said, Away was just really good. But the new one, I. I don't know, but for a literary mystery, have you read the Grant Chester mysteries yet? You might want to try those. They've just made them into a masterpiece theater series, so you might want to take a look at those. They're about a, an, sorry, an Episcopal priest um, in a small town in England. Well, the character's name is Grant Chester, or is no, that no, the that's author? The city, sorry, oh. Grant Chester is the, the little town where he lives. Who's the author? You don't, you're not sure. Well, we'll look it up. But Grantchester will get us there. Yes. Okay, well, then, have you read the um, about a fe uh, female Episcopal priest, the one in Miller's Kill, Ju uh, Julia Spencer Fleming? Do you, what do you think of those? I enjoy those. Yeah. No, you're not so I don't know, not so much. I, I, you know, I hate this to just be so negative. I spent, I spent my life being positive about books, but I just, I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't think that I, I just haven't, you know, love them. I've tried every single one of them. <laughs> Jessica, you got any fiction that you're reading right now? No, because a really, really, really awesome video game uh, came out this week Whoa. called World of Warcraft, the new expansion. So I've been kind of immersed in that world right now. I'm pretty sure that's a different podcast that's going on just, just down the street. <laughs> Um, okay, so here is the Sierra Leone novelist. Um, her name is Amanata Forna. You have to, you've got to read um, you have to read her most recent novel um, because in it, it it's it asks the question during wartime, do you do good or do you do well? And and it's a love story. Um, these two men who love the same women, woman, and one in in the war does good, and the other does well. And and she grew up during this war. Uh, the author Amanata Forna, her father, who was a member of the government, I'm trying to remember, was was hung. Uh, as a traitor or was on the wrong side politically. It's called The Memory of Love, that novel. So don't miss that. It would be so much fun if somebody would read some of these books that we're talking about and then we come back and talk. I, I read that book. I yeah. interviewed her. Yeah. I thought that was a really good book. She was very interesting. I liked what you said about it being that doing well or doing good because that was the, the right. conflict. Right. But what I'm struck by is that that was from 2010 and she's got another new book out that I haven't even heard about, The Hired Man. I heard about it, and I think I still have it at home, uh, but I haven't read it yet. The one that I also have at home that I haven't read is her memoir um, called Ancestor Stones. All right, uh, so what are these nonfiction books you have? 
Well, the first is a wonderful collection of essays by poet Donald Hall, who is entering his ninth decade, and he is looking back at his life. Some of these, um, uh, I, I believe, appeared in other places, but one of the major events in his life was the death of his wife, Jane Kenyon, from leukemia when she was in her early 50s, I believe. Um, but, it's, but it's his life, it's the life of a poet and one of the major, major poets of our time. It, the cover is a picture of him as he is now. And it's a very kind of grizzled man with a mustache and a beard and just looking out at the reader very, very interesting choice. Um, but these are beautiful essays, as you might imagine, a poet. Um, they're, they're, they're prose poetry, definitely wonderful. What does an essay need to grab your attention? I, a lot of it is the language, I think, that needs to grab my attention. But there's an essayist named Tim Kreidler, um, who writes occasionally for the New York for the New York Times, but he did a collection called "We Learn Nothing," and I remember just how much I I loved the humor and the tone of the essays, and so it's a little bit of everything. I think like a novel. Um, Does anybody else read essays regularly at all? No, essays have a hard time getting read in this modern world. Although there's a new collection of essays out from, by uh, Charles D'Ambrosio, I think I'm pronouncing it right, called Loitering, that's getting a lot of press um, all over social media, uh, reference to that. And I have not read that yet, so I'm looking forward to that. There you go. Well, there, that's how you're building your funk. So what's the unsubstantial air? Well, remember we had a whole a whole morning where we talked about a whole show where we talked about uh, what we, uh, World War One came up often, and this is called the unsubstantial air American flyers in the First World War, and it's just. Um, Samuel Hines was a professor of English for many years. He also, I believe, is in his 90s, uh, did a series of earlier, earlier books. But, and he was a pilot in World War II. And this is a history. Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, World War II? Yes, he, he was a pilot in World War II. But, um, but this is about World War I flyers. And, and I didn't realize, um, first of all, it has a wonderful title, The Unsubstantial Air is just amazing. It's just beautifully, gorgeously written. But what I, what I never knew with all my, like what reading I did about World War I is that, you know, there were so many young Americans who went over to fly, joined the RAF or the Canadian Air Force or the French, um, and most, many of them, not all of them, but many of them were from the Ivy League schools. And, uh, you know, so there was kind of those, some of, you know, they were deserted. The schools were deserted because these men were going off to fight in World War II, in World War I. Um, there's some wonderful, wonderful books about flying, uh, pilot being a pilot. I mean, uh, Saint Exupery, you know, beginning with that. But um, James Salter 
who is an American writer, uh, a, mostly a fiction writer, wrote a memoir. And the chapter in there, he also was a, a pilot during World War II, a bomber pilot, I believe, fighter pilot. And he writes about that in that book. And that's an amazing chapter in his memoir. So that's what I'm reading. Nancy, I wonder, did he get into the story of um, Teddy Roosevelt's son who died during World War I? Kermit Roosevelt, yeah. I believe, was the, was the son who died. Yeah. I mean, these men, you know, we, we, these, I mean, these planes, this was, this was, you went in pretty much convinced that you weren't safe. I mean, these people did it for all the right, I mean, they did it because they thought this was the war to end all wars and they wanted to take part in it and be part of that, you know, most important thing of their generation. And so many of them died. And here, and he, you know, he talks about, he, he gives examples of letters of what these young American boys, you know, their impressions of Paris when they got to Paris, for example, or the training or, um, you know, they were in these little, these little planes. It's so hard to to believe. It's a it's a wonderful book, Robin. I think you would like this book. Yeah. Yes. There's your war thing, Kate. That's your war book. My next read. Uh, what about that other book? Well, the other book, Steve, is called Knowledge is Beautiful by David McCandless. You know, I love infographics. I, does, is that low rent of me? It sounds sort of low rent. Really? Yes. So infographics? No, I don't think so. Okay. Not in the modern world. Okay. We're, everything's infographics. Okay. Well, I happen to love. I happen to love infographics, and this is just a collection of really interesting infographics. And it's just the kind of book that um, for anyone who's interested, this would be a wonderful gift to give to someone who, I mean, when I saw this book, I thought, oh, this is a book Steve would be interested in. Um, because it has a little bit of everything, which plants pair well. I mean, in the way these are all laid out, and they all come from different places. What, what, what is that one right there? Because this one intrigued me, and it's in yes. the center of the book. Is, is it transportation? What no, is it? bedding. Bedding. Uh, uh, you know, like how many, what your chances are of a coin landing on heads if you're flipping it, as opposed to what your chances are of um, winning the jackpot of the U.S. Um, mega Millions. I see. And what is my chance of winning the Mega Millions? Well, it's I believe it's 175 million 711. No, 175 billion. Billion 700. Really? Isn't that what that says? 175. You can tell. Billion 711,536. Okay. Well. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Don't cut your J job. What? Oh, oh, oh um, uh, passwords. I especially love those kind of infographics that the print gets bigger, the type gets bigger, the more people talk, of, say it or something like that. And there are plenty of those in here. How passwords are hacked. Create a bulletproof password. These are just so much fun. Yeah. All right. That's great. What else did you bring on your, on your uh, stack there? Robin Lindley, it looks like you have 
this is nonfiction, and I um, wanted to mention Tavis Smiley's new book about the last year of Dr. King's life, Death of a King. Historians have told this story quite a bit, but I don't think it's generally known about the last year of Dr. King's life. He's, he goes from April 4, 1967, when Dr. King gave his speech against the war in Vietnam, beyond Vietnam, and ends exactly a year later on April 4, 1968, with the assassination of Dr. King in Memphis. And what he talks about here is how despondent Dr. King was for most of that year because once he came out against the Vietnam War and then started talking about economic justice and the Poor People's Campaign, many of his allies fled. Most of them, even the um, Southern Christian Leadership uh, Conference board, um, didn't approve his plans for the Poor People's Campaign. And there were people, once he gave that Vietnam speech, everyone from President Johnson to the NAACP, the Urban League, uh, Carl Rohn, the prominent African-American journalist, all said he was really out of his depth and he was irrelevant, basically. So during that year, King was despondent, but he continued to speak out, and it's a story of courage. And I thought an interesting thing about why Tavis Smiley wrote this book was that he had just turned 50 in September, and this was kind of a gift to himself because he said Dr. King saved his life. He said that when he was 12, and of course Dr. King was long dead by the time Tavis Smiley was 12, but his father beat him severely, and he, he was hospitalized. And the gift to him was that a member of his church brought in a box of Dr. King's recordings, and he was in traction for a couple of weeks and he listened to these recordings and he said Dr. King's message of, of love and acceptance is what really saved his life and turned him around as a person and that's why he wanted to do this book and I think uh, the book will make that last year more accessible to people who don't read a lot of the historical books on Dr. King's life. It's written in a in a way that younger readers, I think, can really understand uh, how difficult that year was for him. What's that book? This is called Five Came Back by Mark Harris. It's a history of um, Hollywood during the Second World War told through the lives of five directors, John Ford, George Stevens, John Huston, William Wyler, and Frank Capra. And they were all, all had a lot of prominence at the beginning of the war, but they all decided to work with the Office of War Information in the War Department. It's about their, uh, their exploits during the war and the documentaries they made, and there's some fascinating stories. Everything from uh, John Ford having difficulty working with John Wayne later in the war because Wayne never volunteered for service during the war. You have John Houston's philandering and then his, uh, I think a couple of these uh, directors had real post-traumatic stress disorder after the war. Houston saw quite a bit of combat. And then you have George Stevens who uh, filmed the liberation of the concentration camp at Dachau. And he was haunted by that for years and had difficulty working, but later made, uh, you know, really prominent movies like The Diary of Anne Frank he directed. And, of course, all these uh, directors had post-war uh, careers, too. William Wyler went on to direct The Best Years of Our Lives about veterans returning from the war. 
Yeah, yeah that's an amazing, that's a wonderful, wonderful book. And Kate, I mean, I think you would be interested in that book too because you love nonfiction and kind of war stuff. And But it's so readable and so interesting. And you'll just, you know, when I read it, I just ended up with um, a list of movies that I wanted to see because they were from those directors and I... And I, you know, hadn't seen most of them. It was—it's a wonderful book, and I mean, I just think it was one of the best books of last year. And and he's married. Mark Harris, the author, is married to Tony Kushner, which is another interesting uh, little insight into his personal life. Nothing to do with the goodness of the book. The book is good on its own. <laughs> But, oh, my gosh, what a good book. I um, <clears throat> saw this book at Third Place Books and was just drawn to it. It's called Such Good Girls, The Journey of the Holocaust Hidden Child Survivors by R.D. Rosen. The author meets a woman at a celebration at a friend's house, and it takes him on a journey interviewing three different women who survived the Holocaust by they had to change their religion, become Catholic. I was very drawn into it because of his storytelling. We're on kind of a war kick. It's so ironic because it seems like almost every one of these podcasts we've gone back to to some war or another and talked about that. Shaping our lives in many ways. Okay, so can next time we bring um, some good either holiday reads or wintertime reads or something during the holiday season? I'd love to get something not sickly sentimental, but just something that really is, you know, touching or a little bit lighter or so I can, I'm always up for good suggestions on, on that. So we'll do that, not Thanksgiving week, not next week, but the week first after. Week yes, first week of December. All right. Oh. Robin. It seems that this John Cleese memoir, so anyway, would be a great holiday read. And if it's okay, I wonder, Steve just interviewed John Cleese, and I wondered if you could say something about his book and talking with him on Sunday night. It is a fun read if you like comedy, if you like to see an, an artist develop and a writer develop. It was a very fun book, and it was a lot of fun to be with John Cleese in those pages of those books, because if you like his comedy, then that was, that was in there as well. All right. Thank you all. You can find us at That Stack of Books, the podcast. You can find us if you search for That Stack of Books and with Nancy Pearl and Steve Scher. You can also find us on Stitcher, on iTunes, and on Facebook, That Stack of Books. And you can find us here on Tuesdays at the Brian Corner Cafe. And thanks to Chris and Sarah for letting us do this. I love to come here on Tuesdays because the, the uh, cookies are half price all day. Yeah. <laughs>